Well, good morning. I've got some good news for you today. Actually, got a lot of good news, but I'm excited to share something borderline miraculous that happened last night in our community, and I would venture a guess that most of you are not aware of it. Did you realize that last night the gospel was preached to eight or 9,000 people up at the Denny Sanford Premier Center? Did you know that? Praise the Lord, right? For those of you who have been praying for revival, I think this is the kind of thing that makes it happen. Now, if you have an adolescent or a pre-adolescent boy in your life, you've probably heard of Dude Perfect at some point in time. How many of you have heard of Dude Perfect? Only a few hands going up, and that's not a surprise. That's not a shock. Dude Perfect is a group that's been around for about 12 years. They started as a bunch of knuckleheads in college doing trick shots. And they would make these trick shots, and they'd make videos of these trick shots, and they'd put them on YouTube. And if this whole thing had phenomenon happened five years earlier, probably wouldn't have taken off. If it had happened five years later, probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal because other things would have moved into that space. But the timing was perfect, and the door was opened, and they walked through it. And they have become one of the top ten content creators on YouTube. Most of their videos have hundreds of millions of views. I think the Sundstrom 6 might be accountable for at least a million of those views. But they're always wholesome. They're always family-friendly. They never get inappropriate. They never go places you wouldn't want them to go. And last night, at the end of their show, they have a nationwide tour going on. At the end of their show, in a sold-out arena, they said, hey, we want you guys to know that all five of us are Christians. All five of us have had our lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would love to share that with you if you'll stick around for a few more minutes. And I was so blessed to see 80, 90% of the crowd stayed. And they preached the gospel. They talked about their own personal transformation. They talked about the prodigal son. They talked about Romans and how it's a free gift of grace that we can't earn it and how God loves us even more than we can imagine, like the closest thing we can come to is the unconditional love of, of an earthly father or an earthly mother towards their children. And I just sat in awe and I said, God, this is, this is how it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen because they, they have a platform. They have a platform that's bigger than most of our platforms. But they chose to use that platform to advance the gospel, to take that platform that God had given them And turn it into his platform. And I was so blessed by that. And I I saw immediately as I reflected on it last night. And as I was thinking about it this morning. How it ties into this sermon series. We're in week two of a new series titled Unshakable. Because we live in a crazy world. We live in a world where it is very, very easy to be shaken. By circumstances. By culture. By relationships that just we live in a shakable world and so we can be very very thankful to have an unshakable God he's never shocked he's never rattled he's never caught off guard he's always steadfast always constant always reliable always faithful we talked about that last week as we introduced this series if you missed last week's message I really hope that you will go to our website, that you'll go to our YouTube page where we had some issues, yes, with the live stream, but we were able to put the sermon up on Facebook and on YouTube. You can go to our podcast and you can listen to that message about God's unshakable word. It's one of five subjects we're going to 
cover in this series, and I wish we had more time to do more, and we might have to come back to this and do Unshakable Round 2 and look at five more at some point in the future. But we looked at God's unshakable word last week and talked about how it is one of our greatest gifts that he has ever given us was to reveal himself to us and to reveal himself through his word. Because when we spend time in his word, that's when we learn about the other four. That's where we learn about his unshakable grace and his unshakable kingdom and how we can have unshakable hope and be his unshakable people, that all of this is related together and his word is really foundational. And my hope for this series is that it would not just be foundational for us, that it would be a firm place for us to set our feet in a shakable world but that it would be transformational, not just foundational, but as we find that solid rock, that solid ground on which to stand in God's word and in his grace and in his kingdom, that it would transform us to be a force of nature in this unshakable, in this shakable world to point people to their unshakable God. And so that's my hope, that's my prayer. Last week we talked about God's unshakable world. I'm sorry, <laughs> word and world is quite the tongue twister, as you can imagine. We talked about God's unshakable word and how it doesn't change. It changes us. And we are in need of changing. We are in need of becoming more and more like Jesus. And his word is the primary tool for us to lean into that. So this week we're going to be looking at God's unshakable grace. God's unshakable grace. Now the order of these is somewhat intentional, but it's also kind of tied to the banding together reading plan that I was going through last year at this time and reading through Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus and the book of Hebrews and James and Peter's letters and seeing in the midst of a, a crazier world, you might say, it sometimes it feels, feels like the world was even crazier last year. In other ways, it feels like, no, it's crazier now than it was last year, Pastor Mark. And so in the midst of that, Finding a source of stability in God's word, in his grace, in his kingdom. And so that is where the order of these comes from, is the order in which those subjects presented themselves to me. And this week as we talk about God's unshakable grace, it's also foundational. It's also foundational to us, to our lives as believers and it's a massive subject, just like God's word is a massive subject and we couldn't do it justice or, or can treat it exhaustively. Today, as we look at God's grace, his unshakable grace, it's also a subject so big that we can't cover it completely in one sermon. But it is a source of strength and stability to us in a very crazy world. So before we get really into what it is and how it works, God's unshakable grace, I want to talk about why this matters so much. And the reason that God's unshakable grace matters so much is that it is unique to him out of all the religious systems in the world. Grace is unique to God. It's unique to the gospel. It's unique to Christianity because all the other religious systems in the world have some form of do more, try harder. Do more, try harder. Work and earn God's favor. Work and earn Allah's favor. Work and earn the pantheism of gods in something like Hinduism or Buddhism, and your good works are what make you good, what make you right, what give you right standing with God. Christianity comes along, 
And instead of do more, try harder, it says, it's done. Jesus' last words, it is finished. This is good news. And so instead of trying harder, we, be great, we are grateful for what has been done for us. And we come in line and we join the redemptive mission that other people can hear the good news of God's unshakable grace. And they can build their lives upon it. Instead of me having to earn my salvation, now I've received salvation and out of gratitude for it. I join God in his redemptive mission. And the fullness of God's grace is seen in the person of Jesus Christ, freely offering himself on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. God has always been gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You read those verses ascribed to God seven times in the Old Testament. That phrase appears. It appears in Psalms. It appears in, in, the, in the law. It appears in the prophets. It appears over and over because that is who God is. And we see the fullness of that revealed in Jesus Christ offering himself freely on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to give us the gift of grace. And that leads to our freedom in Christ. So we're, that's, where, that's a little roadmap for where we're going today. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 5. Sometimes I, I read a scripture and teach through that scripture sort of methodically, and that's kind of my preferred teaching style. But every now and then, like, we're going to have to cover a little bit of ground. And so we'll be in several different places today, and we'll see how this weaves together. Because again, it is a big subject And to do anything close to justice for the subject, we need to spend some time and look at this from a couple of different angles. And so if you have one of our blue hardcover pew Bibles here in the room, you can turn to page 1892, right? Almost to the very end. And that's where we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is a letter that Peter wrote, the Peter, the the Peter that walked on water, the Peter that denied Jesus three times, the Peter who became sort of the first leader of the church outside of Jerusalem, whereas James was the first leader of the church inside Jerusalem, this Peter wrote this letter late in his life to encourage Christians, particularly Christians who had converted to Christianity as Gentiles. They, were, they had been Romans, they had been Greeks, they had been not Jewish people that had converted to, to Christianity and were now facing persecution. They were now facing suffering and hardships and he writes this letter to encourage them and it was a widely circulated letter it wasn't like it was just went to one church like some of Paul's letters that that the audience is broader the audience is wider and I want to look at verses 10 through 12 we'll just read this kind of one verse at a time and 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 see what he's saying here because he's closing this letter here in, in chapter 5 in verses 10 through 12 he's wrapping things up and he says and the God of All grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He said, I know it's hard right now. I know there's persecution right now. I know there's suffering right now. But there is a God of all grace, and his grace is unshakable. And after a little while, he will restore you. He will make you strong. He will make you firm and steadfast in His grace. This is good news. This is good news to people who are are suffering for the decision that they have made for Jesus Christ. 
And it's contrasted by those temporary sufferings and persecutions are contrasted by the eternal glory that awaits us if we keep coming back to God, keep standing firm in His unshakable grace. There are temporary sufferings that, that are just a blip on the radar screen in the eternity and the eternal glory that awaits us. And the developing of an eternal mindset, the developing of a, of a mindset that can say to God, yes, this is uncomfortable here and now. What I'm facing right now is not pleasant, but it is temporary. And if we are in Christ, the good news is that these temporary sufferings will pass away. Paul said they're not even worthy of being compared to the glory that awaits us in Romans chapter 8. And so that's the, that's the first sort of good news. Then he says, he kind of finishes up, to him be the power forever and ever. And he closes last little bit. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother... I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And so Peter has reminded them, has pointed them back to the grace of God, the unshakable grace of God. And some of the last things that he says in this letter are to exhort them, to encourage them to stand fast in it. To stand fast in the gospel and its power. Because this grace, this gospel power that Peter is talking about is what we stand fast in. When life gets rocky, when the world starts to shake. We have to have something solid, we have to have something stable, we have to have something firm that we can stand fast in. And that word that is translated here as stand fast is translated in some other translations as stand firm. It means to be rooted in or to be established in, to be set in place, to to be established and to be able to stand firm in that. It's like God didn't give us a waterbed to try to stand on where it's like, how are you going to stand fast on that? It's always moving. It's always shifting. No, he gave us a solid rock of his word. He gave us a solid rock of his grace. And he says, that is what we are to stand firm in, to be established on. Because there are a lot of shakable, movable, unsteady things that we can stand on in this world. And if that's what we're rooted in, then we will be unstable We're not going to be able to stand firm. But Peter is saying that we can take our stand on the gospel. On the gospel of God's grace. That we can stand firm on God's unshakable grace. And we can plant ourselves in the truth of the gospel in the midst of a crazy, shifting, and shakable world. And it, the gospel, will not move. It will not move. Now, Paul wrote quite a bit more about the gospel than Peter wrote. Paul wrote extensively about this gospel of God's grace. It was his favorite thing to talk about, literally. And he was so passionate about it that at one point in Acts chapter 20, we'll put this up on the screen, you don't necessarily have to flip over there, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul is, is going to Jerusalem. He's at the church in Ephesus, and he's about to depart for Jerusalem. And it, his followers there in Ephesus are heartbroken about it because they're pretty sure that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, and it's going to lead to his death. And they were right. 
And Paul knew they were right. But he says in verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. Paul was not afraid. He knew what awaited him, and he was not afraid. He was willing to go because the most important thing in his life was not preserving his life. It was not preserving his platform. It was using his life and his platform to do the work that God had called him to do, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. It was his life's work. It was his most important mission. And he was not willing to compromise on what it is or how it works. And he came into sharp conflict at time with other believers over what it is and how it works, and what it isn't, and how it doesn't work. And Paul was crystal clear, and we are the benefactors of Paul's passion for the gospel. Because here we are 2,000 years later, and it wasn't derailed. The, The early church was not derailed by some heresy, some almost gospel. Paul stood firm. He suffered for it. He was beaten for it. He was stoned and left for dead over this. And he kept getting up, and he kept marching forward, and he kept going forward with the gospel, for the gospel. And so we need to know what it is and how it works. What is the gospel of grace, the gospel of God's grace? I think there's two key words that we need to make sure we understand. First is gospel and the second is grace. And I don't want to pretend that everybody in the room or everybody watching online or everybody listening to this at some point in the future knows what those two words mean. The gospel is literally the good news Sometimes it's translated in the older versions as glad tidings. It's a good report. It's information, good, overwhelmingly good information about something that has happened. And the heralds of the gospel are people that proclaim something has happened. Something amazing has happened. It's not just good, it's great. It's the best news that has ever been reported in the history of the world. And it's, it's so good that sometimes we forget there's bad news that comes before the gospel. Sometimes we forget just how good the gospel is. And the bad news that makes the gospel so good, the bad news is that our sin separates us from God. Our sin, when, when we miss the mark, whether we do that intentionally or unintentionally, sins of commission where we commit that and it's like, you know what, I'm going to go sin now. Or omission, where it's like, doggone it, I did it again. I didn't mean to do that. Whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, our sin separates us from God and it creates a gulf that is so wide, a chasm so wide, we can't get across it ourselves. And that's why we need grace. Grace is his unmerited favor, his blessing, his inclination towards us. God's grace is his unmerited favor towards us. We can't earn his grace. It's, it's something he gives. It's an extension of himself. It's an extension of his very nature. It's his grace, his inclination towards us. And I found this sentence very helpful in understanding God's grace, and it comes from BibleHub.com, and it's, it's a helps word study, and it says, God freely extending himself 
reaching towards people because he is disposed to bless them and be near them. That's part of God's nature. He's he's inclined towards us. He's reaching towards us. He's been doing this from the very beginning. We see it most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. But this is God's grace. The good news of God's grace, the good news is that God's grace reconciles us to God. So where our sin separated us from God, His grace reconciles us. His grace brings us back. And so the bad news is that sin has separated us from God. And if we die without having received and accepted and believed and put our life in the good news of the gospel, then we will die separated from God. We will spend eternity separated from God. But the good news of His grace is He's so inclined towards us. He is straining towards us. He's reaching towards us that when we turn, when we repent from our sin, when we repent from the things that separated us from God, and we turn to Him, He is right there with grace that covers over our sin. That brings us into relationship with him. That reconciles us to him. And so the good news of God's grace is that it reconciles us back to him. And Paul wrote, like I said, a lot about this. Galatians and Romans are probably the two places where this is expounded upon the most clearly, the, in the most focused way. Some have said that Galatians and Romans are, are, are the gospel according to Paul, right? You hear about the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the, synop- or the, the gospels that are rooted in Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. Galatians and Romans tell us what all that means and what the gospel means to us and for us. And so while those two, you know, we could just spend the rest of our time reading, reading Galatians and reading Romans, there are two of my favorite presentations of the gospel happen to come in one of Paul's shortest letters written to Titus, uh, an understudy of his, a, a pastor that had worked with him who was, who was working on the, the island of Crete, which was known for its sinfulness, which was known for its licentiousness, which was known just like the gloves were off on Crete. And Paul's writing to Titus, who's trying to make a go of it and trying to plant a church and trying to build up a church in this influential port island where a lot of ships came in and out. And if, like, if that could be kingdom territory, man, the gospel would spread through all of that. And so he writes this letter to Titus, and it contains two of my favorite presentations, short, clear, concise presentations of the gospel. So I want to look at those. The first one is Titus 2. Verses 11 through 14, if you got one of those blue Bibles, just flip back about 30, 40 pages to page 1858. And we read this in Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good and so you see grace prominently 
prominently presented in this passage. And there's four really distinguishing marks of the gospel that we see here, one in each verse. And so we see the first is that this grace has appeared to all people. And it offers salvation to all people. We see that in verse 11, that it's, it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for a certain group of people, that it's appeared to all people. It is available to all people. And then we see that it teaches us, this grace of God, this gospel, this good news, teaches us and trains us to be holy in the here and now. We talked about this last week when we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that it is the word of God, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training us to be his servants, to be fully equipped as his servants. And so he's, he's reiterating that, that the gospel teaches us and trains us to be holy here and now, not just at some point in the future, but like it can transform us. It gives us the power to renounce sin, to move away from sin, and to pursue holiness. We see in verse 13 that it's not just for the here and now, it's also for the there and then. It's also a hope. It gives us hope to carry us through this world, to carry us through this life. It gives us hope and the future hope of the there and then. You see, it's both good news here and now, but it's also good news there and then for eternity. It's good news today and it's a good news forever because it's unshakable, it's unchanging, it's, it's overwhelmingly good news. It's good news about the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. The now, it's here and now, it's a present reality. We can step into the kingdom of God when we step into his rule and reign in our lives. We surrender to that and we fall in line with that. That's the now. But there's also a not yet. There's a new heavens and a new earth that are coming where there will be no more sin. There, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There is good news for today and there is bright hope for tomorrow. Right? And lastly in verse 14. It is for all who have received him have been redeemed. When we receive Christ, we are redeemed. Redeemed. There's a new nature, a new identity. There's, we're his now. We belong to him. We are redeemed when we surrender our lives to him and to his care and control. We are redeemed. We're no longer deemed sinners. We're now deemed Children of God. We have a new identity. We have new life in Christ. And that new life comes with new behaviors and new priorities. And if, if you heard a gospel that said, all you got to do is pray a prayer and then you go on doing everything else you've ever done. That's not the gospel of God's unshakable grace that transforms us from what we were to what we can be in Christ. That we can be transformed. We can have new behaviors. We can have new priorities. We can decide that we want to, out of gratitude for what has been done for us, live holy and upright lives and join him in his redemptive mission. And lest there be any doubt that it's not the other way around, lest there be any doubt from this passage that we've just read that what we really need to do is clean up our act and make ourselves pleasing and acceptable to God and then we'll receive grace. He zeroes in on that idea in the next chapter in verses 4 through 7 of Titus chapter 3. He says this, he says, 
But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the hope of eternal life. We were saved because of mercy. We were justified by grace. We were saved because of his action, his inclination towards us, his gracious character, slow to anger and abounding in love, willing to forgive. And then we respond to the good news with gratitude. He saves us by his grace. He washes us and renews us. I think that's that's speaking about spiritual washing and spiritual renewal, but it reminds me of baptism. It reminds me of the importance of baptism, of that ceremonial washing, that symbolic washing, where we go down into the water and the old passes away and we come up out of the water, having made a public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about that next week, but I want to give you all a heads up. Two weeks from today, we'd love to baptize some people. We'd love to baptize. We want to fill the baptistry and baptize some people. We're talking about it today. We're talking about it next week. I was like, you know, we haven't had a baptism for a little while. God might have been moving on somebody's spirit and moving in somebody's heart to be baptized. To make a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, even if you've been a believer for a long time, there is tremendous value. And I would love to have a conversation with you in the next two weeks about why baptism matters. And why you should consider being baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ in front of your family of families. It doesn't save you. It's one more thing that doesn't save you. You don't get baptized in order to be a believer or to experience or receive God's grace. It's something you do because of what has been done for you. And that's his whole point, that we respond to the good news with gratitude. We pursue holiness as a response to the grace and salvation that we have received, not as a means to obtain it. And the order really is critical. The order is absolutely critical because the good news of God's unshakable grace is that there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. He gives it to you freely. The only thing we can earn is separation from him through our pride and our sinful actions. Paul covers this very clearly in Romans 6.23. says, the wages of sin is death. That's what we can earn. That's the wages for our sin. Wages are what you earn when you go to work. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's grace is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. We can't earn it. And he says, you're an heir now. Heirs are family members. You're an heir of the hope that is available to us, the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so our bottom line today, our bottom line today is that God's unshakable grace is the only solid ground for our salvation. God's unshakable grace is the only solid ground for our salvation And Jesus spoke about this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about the wise person who builds their house on the rock. 
the rock is God's unshakable grace. And the foolish person built it on the sand. And the sand is anything that we let come between us and God's unshakable grace. And when the storms of life come, all that's going to be stripped away. If you're building it on on good works, that's sand. That's shifting. That's unstable. If you're building that on You're building on pride and you're building on your way or the highway. That will come crashing down. But when we strip all that away and we plant ourselves and we build our lives on God's unshakable grace, it is solid ground. Not only for salvation, but for our life and for our holiness and for eternity. And I said at the beginning that it's ultimately about freedom. This gospel of God's grace is ultimately about freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from pride. It's freedom from hatred. It's freedom from do more, try harder religion. It's freedom from fear and from entitlement and from superiority over those who haven't come to God's grace. It's freedom from all of that, but it's also freedom too. Sometimes we focus so much on what we've been saved from that we forget what we've been saved Two, the gospel of God's grace is freedom to holiness, to pursue holiness, to live a life of love. It's freedom to cultivate unshakable hope in him, which is what we'll be talking about next week. It's freedom to be humble, to be courageous, and to experience God's radical peace in the midst of this crazy world. And so my question for you is, is how much of that do you want to be saved from? And how much of that do you want to be saved to? How much of those, those things that the gospel saves us from do you want to be saved from? All of it? 80%? 90%? How much of the things that the gospel saves us to do you want in your life? How much humility and holiness and love and hope and peace do you want in your life? And our response is is to strip away anything that has come between us and God's unshakable grace. Anything that we've brought in, anything that we've allowed the world to bring in, anything that has come between us. And and there may be people hearing about this for the first time. There may be people that have something welling up within, within them for the first time to respond in faith to the gospel. To strip everything away and to start a new life, a new identity, and be a new creation. And today may be the day of salvation. And so if you're in the sanctuary, I would invite you to pray for people that that might be hearing this and might be considering making that step. And for those of you who have already received Christ, those of you who have already experienced what is being talked about here, I want to bring us full circle. And I want to ask you to recommit your platform to advancing God's kingdom in this world. Just as we talked about Dude Perfect preaching the gospel to eight or 9,000 people last night in our community, what is your platform? Who do you have influence over? And do they know where you stand? Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to have the conversation? In full transparency, full disclosure, sometimes I allow this platform to be my platform. And then I, once I step off this platform, I don't have to share the gospel. I don't have to get uncomfortable. I don't have to take the conversation in that direction. And God reminded me this morning, when you're getting a haircut, 
You got a platform. You got influence for 20 minutes. Or when you go to family get-togethers in the next couple of months, there'll be several of them. There's a platform, especially if you're hosting. There's a platform. Are you willing to engage it? Are you willing to surrender that platform and say, I want this to be kingdom ground. I want this platform to be your platform, God. And I want to encourage you to be intentional about leveraging the platform God has given you. Even if it's not eight or 9,000 people, it's one or two people. It's a handful of people. It's in your school. It's in your workplace. It's in your family. It's in your neighborhood. What will you do with the platform God has given you? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. (laughs) We thank you for your unshakable grace. We thank you that it has come to us. It's available to us. The where the bad news says that we have been separated from you by our sin, the good news comes right behind it and says that your grace, your unshakable grace can reconcile us and can reconcile a lost and broken world to you. I pray for those that that may be ready to respond to that grace for the first time. That there would be nothing that would stand in the way, that the enemy would be silenced, that, that they would take that step of faith, that they would confess their sin and their need for a Savior, that they would welcome the gift of your grace, that they would surrender their heart and their life to you and begin a relationship with you. for those of us who are believers who have received this unshakable grace I pray that if there's anything that that has come between us if we've added anything to it if we've gotten off track if we've become complacent make it real to us again let it touch our hearts anew give us a fire and a passion to share the good news of your grace that that we have received with a world that desperately needs it. Help us to be good stewards of our platforms, Lord, whatever they may be, whatever they may look like, to use the influence that you have given us to advance your kingdom in this world. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you that it is a firm foundation. In Jesus' name we pray.